Welcome to another installment of Fire and Barley. Today we are taking you to a part of the USA near and dear to my heart, Western New York. Specifically, we're stopping off in Grand Island, the home to Taquito Lindo, one of the best spots for Mexican food in the area. We spoke to founders Andy and Sandy and their GM Nick about their relentless journey bringing authentic Mexican flavors to the region, and we learned a ton. Hope you enjoy. Andy and Nick, how's it going? Welcome to the podcast. What's going on, Russ? How are you? How are you? Doing well, thank you. Just uh, put the kid to bed, ready to record and talk about Taquito Linda. Yeah, it's uh, a passion project turned into a future franchise, let's hope. Yeah, that's awesome. So tell me, what are what are your two roles? Could you just kind of introduce what you do for the place and how you're, how you're involved in it? I'm Andy. I, I'm co-owner with, with my wife, Sandra Ortiz. We launched this thing back in 2021, June of 21. Uh, and, and luckily, a uh, good friend, Nick Ryan here, offered his help. I remember the day they pulled up in his Bills mobile and and offered help, and uh, thank God he did. You want to just introduce yourself? Um, I'm Nick Ryan. I am the uh, general manager at Taquito Lindo. That's awesome. And how did you guys meet? Like, how did you know each other before Taquito? Partners in crime since second grade. So in and out, right? Cool, cool stories galore. But we met when uh, Nick moved to Tonawanda, New York from Buffalo when he was in second grade. We were school, we were school buddies. Uh, he left, he left Tonawanda to go to Chautauqua County uh, to start high school. And then yeah. from there, it was odd and coincidental, but as I traveled, what, whether it be for internships or going away to, to college, whether it be, you know, first jobs in, in New York or things like that, you know, Nick, Nick was in the Coast Guard and we always ended up somehow in the same place. So uh, even yeah. if we wanted to, we couldn't get rid of each other. Yeah. I like that it's almost like, because uh, I met him when, when he moved away from where you guys live. So it's almost like uh, we passed the torch. I met Nick when when you, when you he moved away from you. So it's funny that that's the, the connection. Right. And so, yeah, Taquito Lindo started in, in 2021. Can you tell us about the restaurant and kind of the concept behind it, just to introduce it? Sandy and I w- had been talking about building a taqueria here in Western New York just because we could never find the tacos that, that we, we enjoyed in Mexico, right? I, I lived in Mexico city for about two years. I met Sandy in a town called Puebla, which is about an hour and a half from Mexico city. Sandy's from Tlaxcala, which is another like 20, 30 minutes from, from Puebla. And we just were never able to find the, the tacos that we really enjoyed the flavors that we enjoyed while there are some decent options, you know, we were really searching for that authentic taste and we just couldn't find it here in Western New York. So that was kind of the genesis of behind Taquito Lindo was a, a necessity that we wanted to eat. And that was it. The, well, that's interesting, that concept of authenticity. What what makes like an authentic taco versus an inauthentic taco? What are the characteristics you look So, I mean, the staple taco of Mexico and the, the one that you'll always find on a street, no matter what part of Mexico you're in, is the Taco al Pastor. This was, it. right now it's essentially pork marinated in achiote and other ingredients, but achiote is that base that gives it that nice red orange color. That's a gift, let's say from the Lebanese that brought it over mm-hmm. from the traditional kebab from, from uh, the Middle East. And 
when there was a, a large influx of Lebanese into into Mexico, specifically Puebla, they weren't able to get the lamb that that they usually were producing, but a lot of pork or a lot of pig was was being raised in that in that area. So they switched, and the other spices that they came up with were a lot of of the chili, the achiote, which is made out of a natto seed, and they went from there. And so the the typical taco in Mexico, while there are many tacos, right? There's a great Netflix documentary about tacos. You should check it out. It's the Chronicles of, of Tacos or Taco Chronicles. I forget what it's called. But the the El Pastor taco is by far the, the biggest staple. So we really wanted to have that, right? And we just couldn't find it done the right way, at least from a flavor standpoint. And that's cooked when you talk about El Pastor on a, a device that's similar to the way like a shawarma is cooked, right? Like a the, the raw, is that what you were referring to with the, the vertical boiler? I'm sorry. Is that what Yeah, the, the vertical boiler. Yeah, they call it a... a Right, it's the shawarma, but in Mexico it's called the the trompo. So you basically build the big cone of meat off of it and shave it down. We we currently aren't using that technique here in the the first one, but that that will be coming in the next next locations. And tacos for our, me are just it's kind of comfort food, but it's also when we were living when I was living there, it's yeah you know, after after you out for a night. You always had a taco joint that you could go to or a taco cart that was on the street. They could just go and grab your taco, stand around a, a cart. They shaved it down. They, I mean, you can check out YouTube for all of like the magician ta- taqueros that, that exist where they're flipping pineapples and catching it behind their their back. So tacos were, were for me, like something that brought people together. It was that hangout spot. Uh, and they're, they're really just delicious. Does the El Pastor necessitate pineapple or some sort of citrus is that in that dish as well or yeah so the the typical toppings for the pastor is is a you know a a white onion nice nice portion of cilantro on top and then in the typical way you're getting that they they pop the pineapple on top of the the cone of meat and it it starts to let's say aside (laughs) yeah what is it it's like getting grilled and from there, they, they usually just chop it off. We, we use fresh pineapple in, in, the, in the, uh, the restaurant, not exactly the way that we should be doing it, but it's the closest thing that we can do without, without having the trompo in, in the house. So yeah, so the, that's, that's kind of that wonderful flavor. And then just like any taco, the, the, real, the real separation comes from the, the salsas that you make. Everybody has this, this concept of Mexican food being spicy and, and by nature, the food itself is not spicy, right? Uh, especially in tacos, the meat's not spicy. But what makes it spicy is the sauce that you add on top. So a nice salsa verde that we have and salsa roja, that's kind of where you separate. I, I tell people all the time, there's there's some people that prefer salsa verde and there's some people that are wrong. <laughs> and that's and that's largely dependent upon what peppers you're using, right? Like making getting that good base of different peppers, developing a, a sauce around them, stewing them down. I mean, there's, there's millions of sauces. I mean, we ours are quite basic, right? We we use serrano or, or jalapeno peppers to to build our our salsa verde, and it's the salsa verde that's not made with the tomatillos. So it's it's an actual like pure jalapeno garlic onion mix, right? So you're getting that's what you're gonna get at the the taco stand in Mexico, right? It's gonna be like this neon green looking looking thing. 
Um, some people add avocado to it. We love it, man. Like, and it's, it's amazing. Like the flavor that it's a flavor. I don't think many people have had here in this area, obviously where you you're at in New York, you know, if you haven't go to tacos number one or go to Tacombi in New York and, and you're going to find just wonderful salsas on the table, they'll have the trompo and it's, it's amazing. And that's interesting. I guess I have only ever had Verde with, or to my knowledge with tomatillo. I, I assumed it was a tomatillo based, based base salsa does the jalapeno make that necessarily spicier when you're basing it oh yeah that way or is it yeah i mean it we try to get it to a really fine consistency but you're, you're not getting that like soupiness of the the regular green sauce right so yeah it's it's a bit of it's a heart it's a much stronger salsa especially with the garlic in it uh, but the flavors are just amazing right not tooting our, our own horn, but we can oh. sell that by itself. And this we, is the place for it. This is the place to to yeah. toot away. So, are you selling it? Are you have you started bottling I mean, it? Is that we're, something we're, we have? That, that, that's probably in the plans for down down the line. We're really focused right now on on expansion and, and building into a couple new concepts from a, an atmosphere perspective, as opposed to really changing the food. I think the one thing that was interesting when we started was how like everybody was an expert on what a Mexican restaurant was mm-hmm. and what we tried to fight on about guys, we're, we're a meat shop that we put inside of tortillas, right? This is a taco shop. And, and, and that, that was a very interesting learning curve for our community and, and what they had expected from typical, well, traditional Mexican restaurants, which there's nothing wrong with. We just wanted to focus on doing a few things really well and having a process that was repeatable. And you mean what, what folks were maybe expecting, or did you mean more the, the Taco Bell, the, the like make it at home kind of stuff, or you're saying, what do you mean by expecting? Well, so the, the, I, I guess a lot of the, the feedback or expectation or, or in some cases negativity were, was around, well, oh, how can they call themselves a Mexican restaurant if they're not selling refried beans or if they're not making plates or where are the enchiladas? And, it, it was, and it, this was my first foray into, into restaurants. So we were <laughs> really surprised at what, what the concept was, or where's the chips and salsa, or they don't even have chips and queso. And obviously yeah. queso is not part of our, and Nick would, Nick wants to kill me because I don't want to put it on, but it's, it's, it's saying who you are and what you're going to be and, and remaining true to that brand. Right. So I'm not saying that queso is not delicious. I love eating queso. It's, it's a great thing. It's just not, it's not what we're, we're going for. And you, you mean it's not necessarily authentically from Mexico? Is yeah, it's definitely that? not. If you, if you wanted something that was like that, it's called queso fundido, which is a, a very thick, heavy Oaxaca or quesillo that, that they'll make or chihuahua cheese that's then melted down with chorizo and a little bit of like pepper in it, uh, chili pepper. And then you, you scoop that out like a glob and you throw it in a tortilla, a flour tortilla typically, and just munch it down, right? It's kind of like a, a make your own quesadilla type of thing. But the, yeah. the queso thing is very Tex-Mex and just something that we're happy to to eat, but not happy to serve. That makes sense. Nick, do you want to present a counter argument for the queso? Make your make your viewpoint heard. I certainly don't want to oppress any um, viewpoints. I mean... <laughs> Like he said, a, a lot of the customers that we've had come in, like, 
uh, it's weird because like before we before we opened, like I never tried anything like this, right? I'm I'm an American kid from Buffalo, New York. All I've eaten is Mighty Taco and and Taco Bell. I'm used to lettuce and tomato on my tacos, but that's that's not a thing. I'm used to queso. I love queso. Yeah. Um, he's only let me do it for a couple Taco Tuesdays, by the way. But no, I mean I I I, I love eating it, but I. Now I get kind of kind of offended if people come in and they get upset, right? I'm love it. I'm zero percent Mexican, but um, I get offended now if people ask for lettuce and tomato. I no, that's that's it's not authentic. So it's really funny. Like, I, I I've been, I don't even know if it's funny or, or interesting or, or what it is or what the word would be, but I, I just love how Nick has really embraced a lot of the the culture right we have we've had like my wife's cousin visiting and like he's really just really dive his dove head first into it like i i think in the beginning nick was he said to me like i'll help you out as, as long as you need me but you know taquito lindo is as much mine as it is his in the sense of the brand if you say taquito lindo it's the bearded dragon over here as much as it is us right in the food it's it's a cool spot and I think in the beginning, we, we really were referencing, hey, man, we really want to make this like a, a taqueria that is like a, a Mexican cheers, right? Everybody knows your name. You come in, you have good food, you have a chat, you feel like you belong. And I think one of the awesome surprises for me has been meeting people and really enjoying their company and having profound chats with them that I would never have, talking, uh, have talked to in my life. Right. Yeah. I, that immediate bias that jumps into your head when you look at people, which unfortunately, as much as we want to be good people, is just something that we do. Uh, we're all very judgmental as human beings. But the, the ability to to meet all of these cool people, learn their stories and have them also be part of, of this story. Right. I, I, I If Sandy and I are. Are one. And next one, a if not one and seven. Right. The, the community is really is number two to why this works. Right. It's a small 20,000 person population. But the people of Grand Island, New York, have taken us in with open arms and really made going in and building something that we've never done before. Um, getting into an uncomfort zone. Right. You get up every day and you're looking forward to it. Nick comes in from Jamestown every time he works. And that's an hour and a half away. So. Mm-hmm. For somebody to to make those sacrifices for for friend and for business and for a brand is is impressive. Yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, it's clear how much Nick you you have adapted or, or took it on the vision and really believe in it, and that's great. And as Andy said, you were my intro to the brand. Seeing on Facebook, you post about it with such enthusiasm and such zeal. It was like I got to talk to him. I got to see what this is about because obviously they got something special because because Nick cares so much. So. That's fantastic. I think that speaks volumes. And then, so Andy, I think it sounds like you spend a lot of time in the restaurant, right? There's no world where you franchise this out, buy a yacht and and never enter again. Like that's really important to you, right? Getting to meet people and feeling the, the vibe and the atmosphere. I, I won't say never, but you know, the, <laughs> yeah. the goal here is really to build concepts. So right now we, we got, we built in we started April of 21 when we signed the, the lease on this deal. And then we launched 1st of June, 2021. And, you know, 
the goal from the beginning was first, let's figure out how to run a restaurant, right? Or, or a taqueria. We had no idea. We were all very novice players. We, I'd had experience in, in busing and waiting and, and that from college, but you know, the, the managerial part, the inventory management, you know, one of our, one of our customers and good friends now, Dave Brands always telling us like, you know, running a business is great, except for your suppliers, your employees, your inventory, all that good stuff. Right. So Mm -hmm. that part of it was, is was, and is a learning curve, but uh, the the place that we got into was a a diner feel, right. It had been a diner for its entire life and we spruced it up a little bit to make it a little bit more uh, of what we needed, but we're we're looking at, at two different concepts, including like the, the quick service model and more of a, a lounge type of feel to do our expansion and then franchising in the future is, yeah. is going to be determined or determined based on the success of those and which one's the best process to, to actually push it out there. Gotcha. And you have, did I read, you had a finance background that you, you came in with that I'm sure has a ton of useful and especially as you talk about fi- franchising and, you know, maybe even seeking out private equity or other sort of relationships. And I know other companies, other food brands have had such good luck franchising with their good, good experience with. Yeah. I mean, listen, the, the finance side for me allows me not to romanticize the food, right? Because I think a lot of times and my doctor friends and lawyer friends also say the same thing is, you know, we went through 12 and 15 years of school, but nobody taught us how to run a business. Right. Mm-hmm. So if, if the numbers don't make sense, I, I say to Sandy all the time, I go, I don't want to be the best Mexican restaurant that isn't around anymore, right? Numbers have to work. The, they have to get in. You have to be able to please the market as well. So it's, a, it's an interesting balance um, between what do we want to do, elaborate stuff, and, and what can we do that, that's going to meet a price point in the market that, that people aren't going to get, to get upset about or that are just going to turn away, right? Yeah, interesting. And then I do want to circle back to the menu. So I mean, I think when we, we left off on the menu, you got the pastor, you've got salsas, you're yeah. feeling good about sauces. Where did you go from there? Did you just keep, was it about adding new tacos? Was it about getting the best tortilla? Like what was, how did you go from that initial authentic taco? I think the one thing that, that we would like to do in the future is to start hand pressing tortillas, right? We, we use a really good pre-made tortilla right now. And also offer flour options just because the market demands it. Um, so you get that choice. I think a lot of times there's either one or the other in, in a lot of markets. So uh, we'd like to to provide that as an option. But we we said, you know, we're going to have to do carne asada just because steak's always a big seller in the, in the States, right? And we, we found a really good, you know, arrachera or strip steak that, I'm not sorry, skirt steak that, that has, has served us very well. I think it's a huge competitive advantage, although we don't make as much money on that. It's it's something that nobody else has. Like we, we really own the market on the side of here. Hmm. And then we we were thinking about doing carnitas, but carnitas is kind of overdone, in my opinion. And let's not say it that way. I think it's done better. And I'm not, I don't have that recipe. And uh, one of our, our silent partners actually had a really nice recipe for a similar pulled pork dish, which is called cochinita pibil which comes from the Yucatan Peninsula. So this is traditionally done in the ground and like a lot of uh, achiote built into this as well. Sure. But this dish is, is great. You typically will top this with with pickled onions and mm-hmm. uh, 
in those pickled onions, you'll typically see in, in the Yucatan, some habaneros that are in it. We've kept those out um, just because they do carry some heat. Not everybody likes that. So, um, but that's, that's the, uh, the other pork option built in a, a cilantro lime chicken that we, we make with a fresh pico de gallo every day, a nice avocado salsa on top. So very similar to that green sauce, but adding the avocado to it. We manage that obviously from the back avocado prices. If you haven't seen our, are pretty. Yeah. Well, they got a marketing budget now. They're got yeah. Super Bowl commercials. Those don't come cheap. They do not. That's true. And now we, we, we're, we have a, a veggie option. That's a, a, a chili poblano with, with um, sauteed, sauteed poblano with onions, corn, and a tomato sauce that we serve. Uh, but we're also playing around in the in the vegan market now, trying to find some non-meat meat, I guess is, is sure. where it's called. Meat alternatives. Plant-based like that. options. That's what we're going plant-based for. Plant-based options. There you go. Sure. But yeah, no, we're, we're looking into plant-based. Um, again, we want to make sure that the if the option makes it to the, the table, then it's it's something that's going to have the right price point. Those are very expensive products. I was very surprised at the pricing around them. So learning a lot in that area as well. And then every Tuesday is a new special. We do, we do a really great smoked brisket. We do we now put birria on the menu every Wednesday. It's a huge TikTok love fest for yeah. birria. And it actually it drives drives market like crazy. But you know, how did that happen? I feel like it's everywhere all of a sudden. Yeah, I, I don't think I'd ever heard great. it until like a year ago. And then it's like New York Times cooking, it, TikTok, to your point, everywhere. Everywhere. I mean, Beria, I, when I was in, it's, I think it's from Jalisco. I'm not, don't, don't count, don't count my words on that, but it's traditionally done with lamb, but typically in the States it's done with, with beef, but mm-hmm. so delicious. Like the, the boiling down of, of the, the tomato with all these different, you know, guajillo chiles and, and chile morita and chile pasillo. It's, it's, absolutely amazing and fall is the best season i think for it because it's like having a stew and you have like the ability to dip it in and like oh yeah and then drink the stew afterwards i love it and it's also a great option because it it, it doesn't have that hot spice to it it's got a lot of flavor from the chilies but it's not something that's spicy and i think that that calls attention to a lot of people that may otherwise not like tacos although i don't know anybody who doesn't like tacos that's a short list and i think there's something and i wonder and this this is ridiculous of me to say but i also wonder if there's a behavioral connection to the beef on weck where folks are used to dipping the beef on weck in the au jus they're picking up that same behavior with the birria and then boom i hadn't i I hadn't connected those dots but that's a that's a good point yeah no it's really good we wanted to do a we wanted to do a beef on weck taco we're just not sure how we're going to do it yet but uh, I mean, other things that we do, we, we do a really cool Reuben taco. Uh, we do. So I, th- I think this actually speaks to, to a little bit more of the, okay, yes, we're an authentic shop, but we're also very creative in, in the kitchen as well. So if it tastes good, it plays, right? We're a meat yeah. shop first that goes inside the tortillas, right? So if it, the only rules of those is, okay, it has to have some sort of flavoring that we would use out of the traditional uh the traditional menu so that's been the fun part right finding these cool these cool concepts or building new recipes smoking meats i've learned a lot about smoking meats i, I had a, a texan uh friend steve harrison that 
you know, he's just he's just amazing. He's amazing. He's, yeah. You, you don't know like he's he's sitting there at the smoker with me and telling me, "Hey man, when that when that smoke comes out really white, do this. Yeah. When that smoke is blue, you're doing blue good. You barely have nothing. That means it's working really well." And I'm like, "Oh wow. Like yeah, you know these things." So it's cool. What's your favorite wood for flavor right now? What kind of wood are you running? So it depends, right? Like I, we, we were, so you just had the, the, the barbecue King out of St. Louis on, but <laughs> the, the wood that we just used, and we've been messing around a little bit with, with different woods, but for the, the brisket that we just did on Tuesday, we did pecan with <laughs> oak, very soft, very, very tasty. Uh, but previously with, with pork butts or, or other things, we, we use typically a, a soft wood as well, like a, uh, an apple or a cherry, yeah. because otherwise you just eat into that, that meat and that the heavy, like mesquite, I'm told that is something you should use just to cook a steak, right? But smoking a, a brisket on that's going to ruin the flavor of the meat. Yeah. But that's why they make chocolate and vanilla, right? Everybody likes, likes to do their <laughs> Agreed. Yeah, I mean, that's the whole concept of this podcast is me just interviewing people to steal their smoking secrets. I think I got a, a entry level master belt gravity just before COVID started. And um, I've been messing with it. I'm not good with it. I think um, there's some stuff I can do pretty well. But um, for me, it was all about finding like uh, stepping myself up. Okay, I got to be able to do a, a reverse sear steak. Okay, I got to be able to do like just smoking like a big piece of like a butt roast or pork butt or something like that. Okay. Now I'm ready for ribs. And I think the next, I've never done brisket yet, but I think that's like the next, I don't know what the word would be. Yeah, the next grab a, grab a, a, grab a, a, a Saturday and a bottle of melatonin for the kid, because you're going to be out there for 14 to 16 hours. Yeah. Right. So, uh, yeah. but you know, it's, it's really cool because my world, even outside of, of the restaurant professionally is, you know, it's very intangible. You can't reach out and touch it, right? And I've always admired people that are, are good with their hands, good with fixing cars, building things, because you can reach out and touch that, right? And now we've we've been able to do that with, with our food. And that, I don't know, where am I? I'll be 38 this year. The, the ability to start learning something completely different from the ground up, I think Nick would agree with this, is, is just been really fun, right? It's kind of like you, t- you chose to do something, it's working. People like it, but it's also, you know, what's next? How do you, how do you, yeah. how do you improve? How do you get better? Sean McDermott always says here in Buffalo, right? Humble and hungry. So, you know, be, be happy for what you've done, you know, be thankful for what you've done, but also, you know, keep driving forward, becoming innovative and grabbing inspiration. And, and I, I say this a lot to my, my friends and family is using your, your mouth and ears in the, in the right proportions, right? <laughs> I like that one. That's great. Yeah, I think it's and that's kind of where I wanted to go with you guys next is to talk about innovation. It sounds like you guys have a, a core authentic menu. You have a space to experiment, play with flavors. And then I think the next thing that I was impressed by, by, you know, talking, talking to Nick and learning more about Taquito Lindo is um, what you've done with the cocktail and beer program. Mm. Can you talk a little bit about the relationships? And I know 12 Gates has been a, a big part of that and kind of how that all came about and introduce that. Yeah, again, I think one of, from the cocktail perspective, one of our other guys, Jake, Jacob Masucci, you know, I we just told him, Jake, uh, you're creative, you, you're making good things, like get things going. He came up with a nice Mexican mule type of concept. 
where we're using tequila and some jalapeno syrup, homemade jalapeno syrup to, to spice up that mm -hmm. drink. But, you know, in the beginning, I'm going to let Nick talk a lot more about where we are with, with ponchos like a sea lager. But the, in the beginning, the, the goal for having a, a beer partnership was, well, it'd be great to have a house brew, right? Mm -hmm. But it really evolved from there. And, and I think it, it matched a lot of our values in the sense of, you know, you're in a community that supports you, support your community, right? And every year now we're, we're able to, to work with a new organization in honor of what's very important, as you know, as a, as a Western New Yorker, the, the Bills community, Bills Mafia. Yeah. You know, we're, we're working for probably the biggest super fan that ever existed in, in, his, in his memory, Pancho Villa, Ezra Castro, to, to pay homage to, to him and to, to help local charities, principally around the themes of charities that help children and charities that, that help fight cancer. Yeah, so I, I think a majority of our listeners probably aren't in Western New York. And well, if they are, they're related to me, to be honest. My, mom, <laughs> my grandmother listening to this. Um, but can you tell us, Nick, who was Poncho? Who was uh, Andy referring to when he mentions that? So Poncho, he was uh, a Bill super fan. He was from Texas. Uh, his family still lives in Texas, but he actually chose the the Bills when he was younger because it was the closest colors to the Mexican flag. And he was a Bills fan most of his life. He passed away in, in 2019, but before he passed away, the Bills, Andre Reed specifically, um, brought him up on stage um, for the draft. And yeah. they let him announce a draft pick, and, the, and that draft pick happened to be Harrison Phillips. Mm-hmm. He plays for the Vikings now. Yeah. Poncho loved to get back to the community. So we decided to name our beer because like Andy was telling you, we, we made the, the partnership with 12 Gates Brewery. Um, Andy was really good friends with Tom, one of the owners of 12 Gates. So when we, when we were first opening, um, they were going to make us a beer specific for the restaurant. Mm -hmm. And we got to naming it and... There's no bigger name in the in the in the Bills community, Mexican wise, I guess, um, than Poncho. Um, so we decided to name it after him. And then I um, reached out to my cousin. She lives in Texas. That's uh, like I said, that's where Ezra was from. So I reached out to my cousin. She's the head of Houston Bills backers, and she was very close with Ezra. Um, so she hooked me up with the family. Yeah, my I became very close with Ronnie and the kids. They came to come to the restaurant to visit us. I actually, I went out to the L.A. Bills game, the NFL opener, sat with them at the game. Uh, but I became close with them, so we we kind of worked with Ronnie to put a name to the beer that um, wasn't franchised, right? So. For listeners, I guess, that aren't familiar with Poncho, uh, Poncho, Poncho Power is a, a, a big thing in the Bills community, but that's trademarked. Sure. So we had to kind of stay away from stuff that was trademarked. So we came up with a name with, with Ronnie that worked for the family, worked for us. Then we decided that we were going to donate 5.14%, which... May 14th is the day he passed away. So 5.4 um, every May 14th 
And then for the entire year, we'll uh, pick a different charity each year. The first year we donated to Roswell Park, which is a, a cancer hospital here in Buffalo. And then this year we partnered with uh, Harrison Phillips, who again was Poncho's pick in the draft. Um, yep. He has a foundation in Buffalo called Playmakers. Um, they yep. Yeah, I remember he was nominated for the Walter Payton Award for that. He was. What was for last year when he was with the Bills, or, I remember that. Two or three years in a row, yeah. This yeah. Just, a, just an outstanding guy. Mm-hmm. So he has a foundation still in Buffalo. Um, he has one also in Omaha where he's from um, originally, and then he just started one in Minnesota. They work with uh, special needs. Yeah. Not just kids, too. They work with um, adults, whoever yeah. whoever wants to come. They don't – then. Non-discriminate. Yeah. Don't stop at just kids. So it's it's really cool. Yeah. And then we, we we met with him to to kind of finalize the the partnership with him and just the passion that he has for giving back to the community. It follows the same like values that we have. We want to give back to the community that we live in. Same values that, that Ezra Poncho had. It was just a really good partnership for us and it, it made sense. Yeah, I mean, I think what I'm hearing the key word is authenticity with, with you both, right? Like what you're talking about is an alignment of values, an authentic partnership, something that didn't feel forced. And that's fantastic. I think that speaks volumes to what you're trying to accomplish and the impact you're having. And that's great. So is, is the idea then that, is it like the one beer you've developed and that's it moving? Do you, do you try to develop a different beer every year? Do you name it? You mentioned a different charity each year. Do you, what are you doing with the beer in the future? Is it? Yeah, for, for now... The, the partnership with, with 12 Gates is specifically around just that beer. We wanted to gotcha. make it very easy, right? Uh, I think the the genesis of the beer was great that it came from us. I think the evolution of the, the beer will be more distribution to other restaurants, getting other restaurants involved with the, the initiative, uh, not only of selling the beer and buying it, because 12 Gates also matches for can sales. Um, if you haven't heard of 12 Gates Brewery, check them out online. They're called 12, uh, go to Facebook. It's 12 Gates Brewing Company. It's, it's fantastic. And really the cool thing was, is it was the first kind of commercialized lager that they put out uh, and they knocked it out of the park. It's, it's just fantastic. So, I mean, if you're in Western New York, you have to check them out. They're over on Earhart Road near the airport. They're opening up a second location tap room down in Ellicottville. So, you know, the guys over there, Tom and Kevin and Matt, who we worked really closely with have, have done, I mean, plugging them right now just because I love them No, and their beer is great. So, I mean, they're making a lot of sours these days. I'm a big sour guy, but the IPAs that they have, they've, they've won state awards for craft brewing here in the, in, in, in New York. So uh, it was a natural fit with, with them. So we're very, we're very proud and honored that 12 gates at the, the inception of our place, really, we were young, but we're still young, but, you know, they said, let's go, let's do it. We we're, we're all behind it. That's fantastic. And that's great that you were able to find such a willing partner. I got, I got Sammy down here for a couple minutes. So if you wanted to kind of grab her and ask her any questions about how it feels to, uh, to be the Mexican matriarch, that's got the American guys working for her. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Come on in. He's the good looking one. Okay, perfect. Hey, Sammy, how's it going? How are you? I'm good. Um, how are you? Good. Sorry for not being here earlier. I was putting the kids to bed, you know. That's okay. That's totally That's totally fine. But yeah, I, I hear that you're kind of the, the genesis of all this, or at least one of the starting, right? You 
did you grow up in Mexico? Was that part yes. of your journey? And then before you met Andy? Yes, I was born and raised in Mexico. I moved to the U.S. Uh, 12 years ago. I met Andy in Mexico, and that's how I introduced him to tacos. <laughs> did he tell you about the Buffalo winters before you came up here, or was that a surprise that he just sprung on you after the fact? Uh, to be honest with you, like I, when I met him, I didn't. I, I thought he was joking when he told me he was from Tonawanda because I, I am from Tlaxcala. It's the smallest state from Mexico, so nobody knows Tlaxcala in Mexico. If you if you ask someone from Mexico, is have you been in Tlaxcala? They're like, what Tlaxcala? Uh, so I say, God bless you. Yeah, <laughs> so we're the smallest state in, in Mexico, right? So when Andy told me I'm from Tonawanda, I was like, Tona what? <laughs> Tona what? And then he explained me it was part of Buffalo. He told me it was really cold. And we moved first to New York, the New York City area, New Jersey, New York City. And the first winter that I spent in Buffalo, I was like, oh my God, this is so cold. Like, I've never been so cold in my life, I think. <laughs> but even though when he proposed and he had the plan to move back to, to Buffalo, because we used to live in New Jersey uh, for 10 years, yeah. uh, he decided to go back. And I, I mean, I felt so welcome. I heard once that Buffalo was the city of the good neighbors, and yeah. I really felt like home for the first time. Like after mm -hmm. 10 years living in New York City, New Jersey, that area, when we came here, I remember uh, going to the supermarket and someone talking to me for the first time. <laughs> it was so strange for me, but so beautiful at the same time. It's that sense of community that there's here in, in Buffalo. It's amazing. And I'm I'm happy to call Buffalo now my, my home. I really feel like I'm finally home. That's fantastic. And then we talked a lot with Andy and Nick about just the importance of authenticity and when it comes to like menu development, making sure everything feels authentic from Mexican cuisine and, and that is tell us about a lot of the flavors did were these a lot of the recipes coming from like family influences for you were they coming from like where did the where did you get the inspiration for some of these dishes yes totally I mean I, I grew up eating tacos <laughs> I think the first time I, I had a taco I was three years old or maybe uh, younger I don't know but uh, what I really I couldn't find when we moved to Buffalo, I couldn't find that flavor that took me back home. Like every time we try a taco, I was like, it's good, but it doesn't taste like Mexico yet for me, in my opinion. When we live in New Jersey, in, in, in New York City, we could find so many options and the tacos were really authentic. And then when we, when we moved here, I couldn't find that flavor anywhere. So that's when Anderton like, yes, we should do something about it. Like we should open the restaurant and, and we should uh, find out how to how to find the flavor and, and, and to come with the right recipe because we thought it was easy to sell tacos, but it, it is easy to it is easy to eat tacos, but it's not easy <laughs> to make them because you have you have to have 
all the right flavors together, and that's not easy. So we spent, I, I don't know if Andrew told you, but we spent like over a year yeah. trying different recipes until specifically pastor. Pastor was the most difficult recipe to, to make because it's it's so special and it's so from from the center of Mexico where I, I am come from. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I, I guess we made like 10 different recipes. Or something. Oh, yeah, we, we, we did a lot. Yeah, over 10 recipes. And every time I try it, I was like, mm, it's good, but this is not, not, not it. We are not there yet. So we literally spent like one year trying to get the recipe until we finally got it. And we were ready just to start selling it. And, and yeah, we were hoping that people from Buffalo like this flavor. We didn't yeah. know if it was something that it's going to like or not be, because it has pineapple with chili. So it's a, it's a different combination, like, like a yeah. very particular combination. Well, I think it's, it's right. It's, I always equate those moments like, uh, I don't know, have you ever seen the movie Ratatouille? Yeah. There's like that uh, that moment when the critic takes the bite of I, I can't remember what he's eating um, of French food but I can't, it escapes me now and he's like instantly they do that like pull focus of the camera and he's like back in his grandparents' house I mean I think that's the moment we go for when we're when we're talking about it right like you were you were gonna keep going until you had that moment of I took a bite and I boom right where I was where I was you know yeah that- how many years ago. That was her moment. I, I remember perfectly. Like we, we had that bite after that recipe and Andrew and I look at each other and we say like, this is it. We are ready. <laughs> it was, it was so amazing. After one year. One year. And that whole year, you never once got sick of tacos. You, you there wasn't too many and you never burnt yourself out. We're, we're, we're four years into doing this from, let's say inception of recipe trying and we still eat our food. Like, yeah. I mean, we're having dietary issues because we, we just can't stop eating time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, that's dedication. Cool I love it. I actually say that to a lot of people is I'm in that kitchen every evening and I, I haven't stopped eating our food. And it's not that we have a very extensive menu, but I just love, I love the food. I love it. Like I could eat it every day and I do. Yeah, and it is funny. I mean, I grew up uh, cooking at a, a restaurant. I started washing dishes and then cooking at the Jamestown Airport. Funny enough, of all places, and um, there are still at like post shift meals that I still think about. Like I'm like, if I could just have Lorraine's beef on wick or her Friday night fish fry or the Saturday prime rib, it's it's like I remember I'd eat those. You know, the fish fry every Friday from the time I was 15 till literally you know the weekend before I left for college at. at 18 years old and it's it never grew old and it's still something i think about i'll mail it to you (laughs) (laughs) well no i did see i did see it's funny that the jamestown airport did they did finally get a new tenant in there somebody's renting out the the cafe on a six-month lease and i think it's been a quite some time since they had somebody so i did have that moment of like dust off the spatula quit my job and go back to to the jamestown airport but i i managed to resist the uh urge for that well cool i think if if all three i want to do the lightning round we've got some some just some fun questions are just meant to be answered off the cuff we make everyone answer them so um 
you can all answer them. You can pass one if you don't like it, but we'll just ask them pretty quickly. Um, first one, what's one flavor that you can't live without? Uh, one flavor that I can't live without is probably spice, right? Like heat. I love having heat like gar and garlic. I could bathe myself in garlic. That would be great. Yeah. I will say tortilla, corn tortilla. I sure. couldn't live without tortilla, corn tortilla. That's an important distinction. Uh, favorite city for food in the world, just or just a city that's memorable where you ate a lot of good food, favorite food city? I'm going to go two because I, I love them for different reasons. Madrid and Mexico City. Madrid has the best. Well, guess guess what? I'm actually going to change. Mm -hmm. I'm going to Do say it. Bilbao mm -hmm. in Spain. They have what are called pinchos, which are like tapas, but they're in, in all of the rest of, uh, of Spain, tapas are like a a accompaniment for your your beer and the beer is cheap and you get a free little tapa or might yep. be olives or whatever but in País Vasco in the north of, of the north of Spain um, they have these things called pinchos which are tapas but they're artisanal man they are beautiful check them mm. out online put in pinchos which is I think is P-I-N-X-O maybe mm. mm -hmm, I think yeah so. something like that but check it out Bilbao is awesome I, yeah. I, I actually have to say that that was probably the, the coolest experience of food in my life. Cool. And for me, I will say any place in Italy. I okay. love pizza, pasta. I was uh, in Rome. I love it. In, in Pisa, in Florence. Uh, it's amazing, the food there. And obviously Mexico City. So I'm a foodie. Yeah. So I, I, can, I have a, a very uh, large list. Love it. Oh, I'm not allowed to say Grand Island at Tequito Lindo. No. <laughs> you got to say what comes to your mind. I love this guy. All right. What's, uh, who inspires you in, in the food and spirits industry? Someone you're inspired by. It's funny. Another taco guy, but he's done a, a barbecue fusion with Mexican flavors down in, and you should get him for one of your podcasts. It's, uh, his name is Carlos. And his shop is called Carlitos. They do a lot with mm -hmm. smorgasbord in, in Brooklyn. He actually runs the New Jersey smorgasbord piece. But Carlitos is a very big inspiration to me. He actually launched a, a while before us with a food truck. Now he's got three or four shops, runs a, one smorgasbord in New Jersey, and also has a, a beer garden on, on the Hudson River looking at, at the financial center. So, I mean, it's it's phenomenal. you got to go find him, Carlitos. I'll put you in touch with him. But, you know, yeah. he, he inspires me for two reasons. One, he just, he's done a great job with the food, but you know, he's, he's got that hustler mentality, man. He just, he went out and did it, right? He said, I'm leaving. He had really good hospitality and food jobs. He said, I'm doing this. I, I want to do it. It's my dream. And that, that for me is, yeah. is huge, right? Take that risk. Go get it. It's a great one. And for me, I will say, uh, it's a Mexican taquero which name is Don Jose, we call him Don Jose. He's the person who actually show us how to prepare the salsas and some of the recipes. I really admire him so much because he was willing to share all these secret recipes with us without asking anything. Like he, wow. he was a, 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 an excellent mentor to us because we thought that it was so easy to to build 
uh, a trompo, for example, for a store. Yeah. How you call it? Trompo? A trompo, yeah, right? Yeah, we talked about that. Sure. Yeah, but but it wasn't that easy. So I remember calling Don Jose. Don Jose, we don't know how to do this, and and he will uh, make some videos, send it to us. So he was a very important piece uh, for us to to build the the business. So so just for context, sharing. The tacos al pastor recipe is like sharing a barbecue rub mm. or a smoking strategy. It, it just doesn't happen. We were very blessed. A uh, friend of, of Sandy's aunt that, uh, and you can put me on record here. If, if this thing does become franchised, like we're going to, we're going to buy him a house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. We'll send him the, the episode to hold you to it. That's great. Perfect. Uh, what's the best dish or drink uh, you've experienced or a memorable one that you didn't make and one that sticks out in your mind? It's not around anymore. You may have you may have gone there, but it was Crispo Restaurant on 14th Street. Mm, not familiar, no. Little place, really cool, but they had the best, it wasn't even spaghetti, but it was a carbonara. That was just out of this world. Like we, yeah. we would specifically go there. And now we, we can't even enjoy carbonara anymore because <laughs> carbonara was so good at CRISPR and unfortunately it was, you know, sacrificed to the, the pandemic, but that place just crushed it. So I would say top of yeah. mind is what it is. Carbonara is a hard one to balance that salt to the, the, <laughs> the meat and the, uh, the cheese is, is pretty difficult. I went pretty far into pasta making and carbonara here at, at home. And man, that was one that I never felt I even got close to the best of the best. It's so difficult to get that one right, for sure. You know what? I will say pastel azteca. That's the Aztec cake. It's like the lasagna, the Mexican lasagna. It's made with corn tortilla, with uh, sour cream, with cheese, the shredded chicken. It's very elaborated. It takes literally like three or four hours to put it together, but it's wow. like the, the Mexican lasagna. It's delicious. Wow. That's interesting. I don't think I've heard of that. How familiar. That's great. Um, all right. Well, we're down to the last two. What's one book, TV show, movie, piece of media that you would recommend our listeners seek out? doesn't have to be about food. It can be about food. Don't steal well, yeah, I won't steal yours. <laughs> uh, well, you just can go first. No, no you go first. Then. I love my favorite book. And I, I asked, I told Andrew not to steal that book because he actually recommended me that book. It's How to Make Friends and, okay. and Influence People. Yeah, Dale Carnegie. From Dale Carnegie. Yeah, I love that book. I love that book. I really recommend anyone to read that book because... It has so many, como se dice, enseñanzas, like teachings, uh, yeah. teachings that yeah. are important for, for you, not only to be successful, but to be a better human being in general. Sure. That is the second time in, what, four episodes that that book has been picked. Eamon Rocky, founder of Rocky's Botanical Liqueur, also picked that as his piece of media. So that is, uh, you're in good company, and that's something that I know I've read it and to your point, it's it's a fantastic book, very useful. I think number two would be, you know, I think it's the Twenty One Irrefutable Laws of Leadership by John Maxwell. Another sure. awesome book, right? Um, teaching people and, and, and telling people, listen, like you want to be a leader. How do you do that? You just get started, right? You got <laughs> if you want people to follow you, you got to start leading, right? You got to start doing it from from the beginning. So I, I love that book as well. Great. 
And then last lightning question, uh, what's the best piece of advice about cooking that you've received? Ooh, about cooking? That's interesting. Uh, it can be about life. We can expand this if you have life advice as well. We'll take that. I have one. My mom always told me that even when I didn't know how to cook, she told me, if you like to eat, you will definitely know how to cook. It's that easy because you would you would try something and you would say, mm, something is missing. Salt and you will try to add salt and different spices until you, you have what you want to eat. If you're a foodie, you're probably going to know how to cook. <laughs> Love it. That's a really beautiful thing. Yeah. I, I, I think this... <laughs> It's not food related. Um, again, like I haven't been in the restaurant industry more than the last what two years or going on two years, right? Except for the nece necessary times of high school and college. <laughs> but you know, I think the best advice I've ever gotten, um, at least in business, has been from from Sandy's dad, and it, it's he, he said it half in jest and half half serious and. I, I tell this story all the time, but you know, I when early in our marriage, I was talking to him. He's had a good amount of success himself, and so you know, like I know there's not a secret, but what would you help? Well, how would you help people that are looking to go into business for themselves or to do things? How, how what what would you what would your first piece of advice be? And he he was like, he it was really really funny because it, it it holds true, right? It's it's what I say is simple, not easy, but the concept is there. It's simple. He goes, can you add? I go, yeah, pretty good at math. He goes, okay, great. Can you subtract? I sure. <laughs> he goes, if you can add money, you subtract, you're going to win. So go ahead. <laughs> but <laughs> it's, it's a brilliant way to really simplify things and say, guys, like you don't have to recreate the wheel. If you can take something that costs X and get X plus five, you win. Sure. So, um, it's all in the math. Yeah, it's good. Love it. Nick, you got any advice to go out on? Um, I can't beat those. I'm sorry. <laughs> They're pretty good. They're good. They're authentic. They are good. Well, that's great. I mean, I hope this was fun for you guys. And uh, thank you. Thanks for coming on. This was awesome, man. I'd love for you to, to get Carlitos in and to, to talk to you. Maybe you yeah. can start doing a vertical on tacos. <laughs> yeah. No, I love it. Fire and Barley is part of the Sparrow Creative Network and is hosted by me, Russ Martones. Our theme music is by the effervescent Nils Dallaire, and today we'd like to thank number 17, Josh Allen, for teaching us all to leap to new heights every day. <laughs>